Guys, my, my prayer for you this morning, as I've, as I've been praying for you, as I've been praying for our time together, um, is that this morning you would encounter the love of God in a way that you haven't before. That you would not only understand it, you would not only begin to grasp it, but you would begin to experience it in a way that, that perhaps you have never had before. I think Claire just, she set the table so beautifully with that, that passage in John 3.16 which is on the second page of my notes. It's, you have those moments where you just feel like the Holy Spirit is, is kind of percolating, wants to talk to people, wants to encourage people. And this morning, I feel like God wants to encourage us in the area of love, a word that is used 848 times in the New Living Translation of the Bible. It's kind of a really big deal. And it's one of those things that I think at times we, we, we have our eyes on and then, then sometimes we may just begin to forget a little bit. It was Maximus's birthday last week. Maximus turned three. Big deal. He turned three. Yeah. And so we, we went over to his house after church last week, and we brought some, some birthday presents. And so he got to open up all of those birthday presents. He was, he was just absolutely having a blast. And then the next day, Monday, um, he came over to visit Dad, and, and I'm walking down the hallway toward Dad's office, and there's Maximus. And he goes, John, do you have a present for me? And I said, I said, no, Maximus, I, I gave you your birthday present yesterday. And he goes, I need another one. I need another present. Sometimes we lose sight of the gifts that we've been given as we're waiting for the next one. It's super cute when we're three years old. It's a little less cute when we're 30 years old. There's something about the love of God that we get to partner with. In John 5.19, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. I love you with the same love. Think about that. Jesus is saying, I love you with the same love that God has for his son. But then he says, remain in my love. Which means we have the option or the opportunity to sidestep it just a little bit. And so I want to talk to you this morning about remaining in, living in, experiencing the love of God that we have in Jesus. In the Old Testament, Israel has a long, rich history of disappointing God. If you want to read about a group of people that get it wrong and then get it wrong again and then get it wrong a third time, it's Israel. But God never gives up on them. As a matter of fact, he speaks a promise to them in Isaiah 54, verse 10. He says, even if the mountains were to crumble, if the hills were to disappear, my heart of steadfast, faithful love will never leave you. My covenant of peace with you will never be shaken, says Yahweh, that's a name for God, whose love and compassion will never give up on you. God says to them, when it when it seems like your world is falling apart, and for Israel and for me, sometimes it feels like my world is falling apart because of the decisions I have made. But God says, even when it feels like your world is falling apart, when things are unsettled, when you feel afraid, when, when the ground is unstable under your feet, there is one thing that will always endure. There is one thing that will always remain. There is one foundation that will remain secure no matter what happens. And that's the love of God. 
And the word love in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed doesn't mean affection. It means goodness, kindness, faithfulness. And we see in this promise of God loving his people with an unshakable love, something that goes far beyond emotion, something that is drawn from the essence of who God is. So when we're talking this morning about God loving you, God loving me, living in his love, experiencing his love, we have to remember that with God, love is always tied to his character and to his behavior. When God says in the Old Testament anew, I love you, he's not saying I feel some kind of way. The word in the Bible that God uses for love, both in the Old Testament and the New, is a love that has to do with the goodness of God in action on your behalf. So important. Because when you and I experience what we call love, it seems to wane from time to time based on how the people we are loving are responding to us. Ever feel a little less lovey-dovey with someone after they've said or done something to you you didn't really appreciate? Just two of you, okay. Great, great self-discipline to not look at your spouse, by the way. Well done. So proud of you. If love was an emotion that God had, we might be in trouble. But love is an orientation that God has toward us. It is, it is the way he is, he is engaged in relationship with you and with me. So God says to Israel and to you and me, even though you keep messing up, even when it feels like your world is falling apart, I will be good, I will be kind, and I will be faithful to you. That's what it means when he says God loves you. He says this love, this, love, this, this goodness will never give up on you. It is a promise. When we speak of God loving us, and we're about to jump into, into Ephesians in just a second, we're talking about a promise, something that is not conditional, something that is not circumstantial, something that is not based on your behavior, something that is based in the will of God himself, and God uses covenant language when he talks to you about how he loves you. He speaks a promise, an unbreakable promise promise. And so I want to look from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So we're going to jump from Isaiah to 1 John and then the book of John. 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. I'm getting excited. Are you doing okay? I, we had a pre-service meeting this morning and I said, hey, there's a 65% chance I'm actually going to preach the message I wrote. So we're going to, we're going to find out. And if I ever say something, listen, never mind. I don't need to work myself up. All right. 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins, your sins. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, here's this word again, eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world. God showed how much he loved us. That word is agape. That's the Greek word. One of about six or seven Greek words for love. This is a word that is love in action. It is one that seeks the good of the object of its affection. It's an action word. It's an active word. It's not a feeling word. God was so committed to the good of the world. He was so engaged with your good that he sent his son so that the world would not be destroyed by the weight and the consequences of their own sin, 
But both of those passages say, but they would have eternal life. Here's what we need to understand when we talk about the love of God and what it produces in us being described as eternal life. Eternal life has to do with quality, not with duration. When you read eternal life in 1 John, when you read eternal life in John 3.16, it's not talking about a length of time. People who surrender their lives to Jesus and people who do not surrender their lives to Jesus will live forever. You have a spirit. It will never die. So when Jesus is speaking of eternal life, he must be talking about something beyond simply duration. Well, if, if you, some of you guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about? We'll jump into this in greater detail in the new year as we talk about the kingdom of God. But both those who accept Jesus and reject him are going to experience life of limitless duration. We know that. So he's not talking about the length of life. He's talking about the kind of life that we're going to have because of the love of God. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that we would have eternal life. Jesus came that we would have a particular kind of life that he calls life to the full. This is what God loving you looks like inviting you into a life of wholeness, of peace, of relationship with God that is a life worth living. In the here and now, not in the sweet by and by. The love of God is not something that secures our tomorrow. The love of God is something that engages us, restores us, heals us, helps us to thrive in the present. God didn't love us, send Jesus, and went, now I'm done. That act of love is an ongoing thing of engagement. John, are you saying that God doesn't have any affection for me? Well, of course he does. You're his daughter. You're his son. He has the affection for you that a a father would have for their child. But when the Bible talks of the love that God has for you, it is so much more than feeling. And when we begin to understand that every time in the Bible we read that God loves us, we need to understand that it means he is actively engaged for our good. It's not God in heaven on a throne feeling a certain kind of way. Every time we hear that God loves us, it means he is in action in the moment for your good on your behalf. That's what it means when God loves you. This is why I want you to encounter today the love of God in a fresh way. Because it is engaging, it is dynamic, it is healing, it is restoring, it is not distant, it is present in the here and in the now. I'll woohoo that one. God will never love you more than he does right now. But, what if? What if you can experience his love more fully than you do right now? Could that be what Jesus was encouraging us to when he says, remain in my love? Was was he telling me, John, there are going to be moments where you can be fully engaged with understanding what it means that I'm loving you in the here and now, and there are some days like three-year-old Maximus where you're looking for another present. John, if you want to live a life of eternal significance, if you want to live the life 
for which you were created. You have to remain in my love. God's love for you? Claire said it this morning. I was, it's just, I was so appreciative of it because it, it helped my heart know we're going in the right direction. God's love for you is a fact. It is not a feeling. If you feel like you are unloved by God, that is not the basis of his love. His love is something that he decided to do. The love of God is not rooted in our behavior. It is not rooted in our own sense of value. It is rooted in his character, which is unchanging and eternal. And if you're, if, if, we are so conditioned to try to earn the love of other people that I think it causes us from missing the love that God has for us. You can experience the love of God when you stop trying to earn it. Let me say that to you again. You can experience the love of God. You will experience the love of God when you stop trying to earn it. That's John 3.16, because God loved you, he sent his son. Why? Because you couldn't earn it. If you could earn it, he and the son would have sat in heaven saying, come on up, guys, we're ready for you. Work really, really hard, and maybe you'll get there. Believe it or not, that's the introduction. Okay. Because I wanted to set up the prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. Paul, as you know, traveled the Roman Empire, and he shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, everywhere he went. And then as he planted a church, he would follow up from time to time with letters that were meant to help ground them in this new faith, this new experience they were walking into. And he would teach them how to fully live into this experience with Jesus. And so I want to look at this prayer. It's, it's, it's centered around Paul wanting them to know God as their all-powerful and all-loving Father and to remain in that love. All right. You've got a fill-in, I'm skipping it. Um, I'm going to read you Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, because we need to get there. So this is Paul praying for this young church in Ephesus. He says, when I think of all this, what is the all this? What is he talking about? He's just finished talking about what we talked about, because God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. He's been writing about uh, against the backdrop of Jesus coming to rescue you and me. So when I think of what God has already done in Christ, he says, now I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then, when, when God empowers you, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Understand, when he says, may you experience the love of Christ, he is talking to people who already have. He's writing to the church. They are born again. They are Christians. They are like you and me. They have had a dynamic encounter with their living Savior. They've been forgiven from their sins. They've been brought into the family of God. And to those people, he says, I am on my knees before God that you might experience the love of Jesus, which means there is more for us to experience than we simply did 
when we were born again. Let's pop it. Let's pop it. I don't know why I said pop it. Pop it like it's hot. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 3. Let's, let's. Help me, Jesus. Let's look at verse 16 again. Listen. I so want you to get this that I can't even figure out how to say it. It's like I'm so excited on the inside about what I'm learning. I just want to download it into you. And I'm like, take a deep breath, big fella. Come on, you got this. All right. Let's let the Bible talk to us instead of me just jumping up and down and spitting. We get to do this again. We can always post the second service. Ephesians 3.16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Paul is praying that God would do this for you and me. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So he's saying, when, when I think of the fact that God loved you enough to send his son, I start praying that he would do something else as well. I'm praying that out of the fullness of who God is, that he would take something of himself and he would give it to you. That his spirit would empower you. The root of that word power is dunamos. It's, it's the word that we hear Jesus use when he tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he is telling his, his listeners, I am praying that God, by his spirit, would engage you in such a profound way as God takes some of his own, his own essence, his power, his energy, his grace, his love, and he puts it into you in order to strengthen you in your inner being. So, part of the key to experiencing the love of God is being strengthened in our inner being. And being strengthened in our inner being is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. So you and I cannot fully experience the love of God as we are designed to without also engaging with His Holy Spirit. And he says the Holy Spirit is to strengthen you in your inner being. Our inner being is getting hammered, church, 24-7. We get beat up in there all the time. Sometimes we're being hammered by external forces, sometimes internal. Sometimes it's the media, sometimes, sometimes it's people. I mean, sometimes just engaging with our coworkers, not mine, just beats us up inside. Sometimes it's our family, not mine. But sometimes people we trust can behave in such a way that produces a deep and a painful wound and harms our soul. And even if we're protected there, we have these external forces like, like the media that does two things really, really well. The first thing that they do is they, they present a fake standard of beauty or success. At Christmas, they're awesome. Apparently, if I want to love my wife, I need to buy her a $90,000 Mercedes because that's what love looks like. I'm going to get disappointed, babe. So sorry. <laughs> that's the first thing the media does really well. It presents a fake standard of success or beauty. The second thing the media does even better is it tells us that we're not meeting that standard. We are constantly reminded that we are not good enough, attractive enough, wealthy enough, or successful enough because we don't look like the person on, on, on the magazine cover or the Instagram post. And listen, this is the only time I have ever looked like the person on a magazine cover. That's it. I peaked at four years old, man. It's been downhill ever since. 
So if my being lovable is tied to some external picture or idea of what it means to be attractive, it's just not going to work for me. So my soul is constantly being hammered. And then these, these unreal, unfair, unattainable, filtered, scripted images, standards that I can't hit, then begin to shape our self-talk. And we begin to tell ourselves we're unsuccessful or we're unlovable or we're ugly or we're this or we're that, and over time we get worn down. And so the Bible says in order for us to fully engage with the love of God, he begins by giving us a gift that the Holy Spirit would come and engage us in such a way that it strengthens us in our inner being. This is how God loves us. He starts with healing us so we can engage his love. Think about that for a second. That's how little it has to do with my value. God's like, you can't even receive my love, so I better fix that, and then I'll start loving you well. Being loved by God is not a matter of work. It is a matter of fact. For God, so what? Boom. Already done. If you and I want to experience the love of God, we simply have to stop trying to earn it because we can't earn what God's already given. And he says that once the Holy Spirit begins to empower us in that way, he says, Christ, I'm praying this way, that the Holy Spirit would take from the fullness, the riches, the glorious riches, one translation says, of all God has, he would bring that to bear in your life in a way that strengthens you in the inner being. Because when he strengthens you in your inner being, he says, then Christ will make a home, find a home, uh, NIV says, will dwell in your hearts through faith. Now remember, he's writing to people who were born again. It's not like Christ is absent. But there is something deeper, fuller that Jesus is inviting us into in our relationship with him. And when Paul uses the language that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith, he's, he's evoking language of the temple or the tabernacle where the glory of God would come to rest and God would dwell among his people. And when they needed wisdom, they could go to God and seek him in the temple or the tabernacle. When they needed healing, they would go to the priest at the temple or the tabernacle because God was fully present. And so Paul is saying, I am praying that God would strengthen you deep within, that you could create space that God would dwell within you like he did in the temple. Paul prays that as God strengthens you in your spirit, Jesus will find a home in your soul. That's what the Greek word heart refers to, our thinking, our will, our emotions. And Paul is praying that we would find the strength to allow God to be present there in our hearts, in our thinking, in our will, in our emotions because we trust his love. Paul would pray, may you never be alone with your emotions. Would you never be alone with your thoughts? May God's love always be present with you in those secret places, in those quiet places, in those places where it's so easy to become discouraged. May God's love, may his goodness, which is an action, always be present with you there. 
May God give you by his spirit the strength not, not to push him away in those critical places because he's, he's committed to your good. And so when God begins to engage us this way, when we, we by his spirit are able to create space for Jesus to dwell, not come visit, but to dwell, remain in our thinking, in our feeling, not just in our actions. Ephesians 3.17, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power, that's dunamos again, this is calling back to the Spirit of God, that what He gives you. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, and deep His love is. Why would Paul use language like roots? He was, a, he was a rabbi. He studied with Gamaliel. He wasn't a farmer. Paul is saying God's love is meant to stabilize us. Roots have two really important functions. One, they, they draw nutrients from the soil, but two, they go down and they sink deep. So when the storms come and the wind blows, that plant is unshaken. It doesn't lose its connection. is saying, may you be deeply rooted in the love and goodness of God so that you may draw in peace, joy, faith, hope. Being rooted in God's love means the goodness of God nourishes my thinking and it nourishes my emotions because agape is not a feeling. Agape is actively working for the good of the one you love. May I, in my emotions, in my thinking, in my planning, may I always remember that God is actively engaged in my good, for my good, in these areas. Are you tracking with me so far? Step over here for a minute. Here's what I want you to remember. When you feel attacked in the area of your self-worth, your self-image, your value, I want you to understand that that is an attack from hell on the image of God. You and I are image bearers of the Most High God. And so when an attack comes that would demean or diminish who you are, that attack is not simply against you. It is against the plans, the purposes, and the statement that God has made about who you are and the value that you have in him. Okay? The reason that we have to be rooted in the love of God, we have to, in Christ's word, remain in his love, is because when I am rooted in God's love, I begin to grow in four significant areas. The first is confidence. When I am rooted in the love of God, I have been released from the need to validate myself. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. Jesus has already demonstrated how valuable I am to him. He's already justified me so I can begin to live in the freedom that comes from not having to prove my worth. If you don't like me, I don't care. 
Because God loves me. And so if God says to me, because remember, he's inviting me into eternal life, a life of significance in the here and now. And if part of that means God wants to say, John, I want you to pray for this person or talk to this person or give this or I don't have to go, God, I can't do it. I'm not going to be okay. If they don't like what I have to say, I'm loved by God. Not in the warm fuzzy. While they are rejecting whatever I may share, God is actively engaged for my good. So if you call me a name, boo-hoo. God is doing something big through my obedience. This is what it means to be rooted in the love of God. I grow in, not in arrogance, not in arrogance, but in confidence. Wait a minute, I am, I am actively being loved by the Most High God. God is actively engaged for my good right now in each and every situation. I think I'm going to be okay. Here's the second thing that I grow in. Authenticity. When I'm rooted in the love of God, I am free to be myself, not who I think somebody else wants me to be. I have blemishes. I know. I got one. It's, I, it's back here somewhere. I don't need to make you think I'm beautiful. I don't need to subscribe to your standard of what, and I'm, this is not, this is you, the world. I'm not pointing at anybody. Caden, I don't need it. No, I have the freedom to be myself because the true me, the authentic me, is who Jesus loves, not the TikTok Instagram me, not the me that has to hold the phone just a certain way so you don't see the second chin. Not the one that's got to develop three to seven to 34 filters to put on top of this. How many of you, don't show me by raising your hands, somebody takes a picture, you're out together, you know what's going on social media, and the first thing you say is, let me see that before you post it. Why? Well, because you want to make sure you look good enough. I mean, I do too, but let's be honest. I want to be at peace with who I am. God sees me, sees the real me, and he loves me anyway. And with me, there's a lot of anyways. So when I'm rooted in God's love, I can grow in confidence. I can grow in authenticity. I can grow in what I'm calling self-forgetfulness. I don't have to promote myself to prove my worth. I don't have to fight to make sure I get everything I deserve. Because my trust is in God as my provider, the one who loves me. And I can begin to focus on the needs of others. Because I'm confident that as God loves me and that love is an action, he's going to take care of me. I don't have to be self-absorbed and self-focused. I don't have to fight for my rights. I don't have to, to fight for my promotion. I don't have to fight for whatever. I can simply trust God. Because he is actively engaged for my good. And if, if God is actively engaged for my good, if that's what it means that he loves me, can anyone else really stand against that? I mean, how silly am I to work really hard to get what God himself can give? And here's the last one. Let me, let me give you one more for self-forgetfulness. 
people are going to say not nice things about you. People will lie about you. People will be rude to you at work. They'll be rude to you at the grocery store. They were rude to Jesus. It all worked out okay. You can trust that God has your best interest at heart. When I'm rooted in God's love, and we're going to close with this here in just a second, I grow in peace. It's interesting that as God spoke of love in Isaiah, that passage we began with, he also referenced the covenant of peace. God's love and God's peace go hand in hand. When bad things happen, when hard things happen, God is still going to be good to me. He is in control, and my future is secure in him. That's why I can live in a way that is fully alive. And then Paul closes with this, and we're going to close with this as well, and I want to pray for you. May you have the power, dunamos again. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Not just understand it, but experience it. Even though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is saying, guys, here is my big prayer for you. This is my big ask. I I know that the kind of love we're talking about is foreign to you. So I am praying that God would give you a picture of how completely and how profoundly he loves you. And what that love means for you practically. And and, and while you're trying to get your head around it, he says, which is basically impossible, I'm praying that God would allow you to experience it. That you would see his goodness on your behalf. That you would know that he contends for you. That he know you would know that he is doing good to you. That when things are hard, when the future is uncertain, that is not the end of the story because God loves you. And because God loves you, he is actively engaged in doing good to you. May you experience, Paul would say, the goodness of God, even as you're trying to get your head around how he could possibly be that good to you. Because it's as you experience God's love for you, as you experience his goodness at work for you, that's where you become fully, truly alive in Christ. This is my prayer for you. Claire said some of us some of us feel outside of the love of God. My prayer is that you would experience the love of God before you understand it. My prayer is that this Christmas the Holy Spirit would empower you so that as you begin to look around you you would see the places, the ways, the moments where God is engaged doing good on your behalf that there would be a confidence that comes to you in each and every situation that you face because you understand in that situation, in that place of insecurity, that place of uncertainty, God is being good to you there. We just have to let him open our eyes that we might see it. God only knows how to do good. He loves you with a love that will never end. 
And that love is completely tied to action. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Close your eyes. I'm so grateful that Paul, in different times, in this short passage, talked about the need to have the Holy Spirit engage with us that we might experience the love of God. I want to pray that over you this morning. But I'm just going to ask for you to have a moment with Jesus. If you would say this morning, I want to experience that kind of love, maybe be reminded of that love, maybe remain in that love that that Scripture speaks of. And I got to tell you, I'm either so beat up on the inside or I'm beaten up on myself that I need, I, I need the Holy Spirit to engage with me afresh and make that even possible. I need him to empower me in my inner being so that I can receive and experience this love of God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up to heaven and go, God, that's me today. I need it. Yeah, many of us. Many of us. Put your hands down. Lord Jesus, Scripture is so very clear. Because you loved, you gave. You haven't stopped giving of yourself, of your spirit, because you haven't stopped loving. Lord, and for those of us who this morning would say, I need, Holy Spirit, you to come and fill and refresh and encourage and enliven. I need you to strengthen me in my inner being that I might receive the love of God, that that I could create space for Christ to dwell richly in me. Holy Spirit, you hear that as an invitation and you move quickly in response. So we welcome you in all of these places to strengthen, to encourage, to uplift. We receive, Lord God, Not simply your affection, but your agape, your commitment to our good. Because you want us to live lives that are full. And that can't happen apart from your work in us and your work through us. So we yield ourselves afresh to you this Advent. Say thank you for coming and thank you for loving. In Jesus' name, amen.